Uh, Father, we thank you for your grace, and uh, we thank you for the church. And Lord, we thank you for the, the ability to be able to come freely, uh, to worship, to gather, to fellowship, to uh, study your word, Lord, and even to look into these heroes of the faith and see how um, they can encourage us and uh, help us, Lord, in our own walks, in our own lives. And uh, Father, it's uh, just a treasure to see how you've used each one of them uniquely, the legacy that they have left. And Father, we pray that uh, as each one of these lessons have gone forward, uh, that everyone that's been here, that's partaken, who listens online, whatever that may be, uh, to be edified and encouraged. So I pray tonight, Lord, that we would continue that pursuit to be edified as we study. Uh, we thank you for Awana, all the kids, all the workers. Lord, bless them tonight as they uh, memorize scripture and do lessons and, and play games and uh, just be with them, we pray. Our nursery workers, Father, thank you for our church leaders, um, all that they do week in and week out um, to guide and shepherd us so diligently, Lord, and, and the energy that's expended. Father, give them uh, the grace they need to do what you've called them to do. And we thank you for them. Thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you consider doing biography uh, in your own personal walk or even for a, a teaching opportunity like this, um, there's so many key figures that exist in church history, and uh, sometimes it's hard to know who to pick for our next target uh, of admiration. Um, however, there was one old preacher uh, in a town called Barnstaple, England, who caught the attention of many. And he was a saintly man uh, with the great courage to not only shepherd his flock diligently, which he did, uh, but he was also uh, had the courage to stand on the street corners in his town of Barnstaple and uh, preach the gospel in open-air settings and take the ridicule that would come along with that. Uh, anytime you do open-air preaching, there's always a risk that some will be offended, and this whole preacher, as he preached on the street corner, while he was loved by many in the town, and while he was loved by many in his church, uh, the gospel offends, and he offended a few in his town as he was faithful to the task. His plain old preaching of the gospel and sin and need for repentance and a Savior uh, offended a few, and there was one, one man in particular, it was a local grocer in the town, and uh, he took issue with the old preacher's preaching of the gospel. He was a critic of the man, and one day the grocer had had enough, and so his anger boiled over, his, the offense kind of peeked out in his own heart and his own sin, and he walked straight out into the street, approached the old preacher, and spit on him to, to display his disdain for the gospel and what this man was trying to do so faithfully. Certainly a price to pay, no doubt, but one gladly accepted by this old preacher named Robert Cleaver Chapman. And Robert Chapman will be the focus of our study tonight. A strange thing about that encounter with Robert Chapman, with this old grocer in town, was that Robert was known in his town. He was really known throughout England, and he's been known ever since as the Apostle of Love. That is the title that has been affectionately given to the man known as Robert Cleaver Chapman. And in some, strange, in, in some sense, uh, one might think, what a strange experience for a preacher with such a title. The Apostle of Love in the town of Barnstaple, England, 
to be spit on by the local grocer for preaching the gospel. Well, tonight we want to look at this man, notice Robert C. Chapman. Um, and a couple of things that I hope to accomplish, while I'm not really tightly organized around this, um, just a few questions. How did Robert Chapman um, receive this title? How did he get this title of the Apostle of Love? And secondly, what can we learn from his model? And I hope as I unpack some of the examples in his life uh, that you'll find encouraging and edifying, but also challenging to know how we as believers in this day and age can model the love of Christ in and amongst ourselves in the body of Christ, but out in our communities and our workplaces and everywhere the Lord takes us on our normal paths. And then thirdly, how can we be encouraged to love as Christ modeled love for us? So how did he get the title? How can we, what can we learn from it? How can we be encouraged to love even more? So let's begin with the man, Robert Chapman. Now, at the outset, I did want to make one qualification. Um, don't get too caught up in this concept of the apostle, okay? They didn't mean the title quite literally as he was an actual apostle. The, the word is just being used figuratively. Um, and there is, in, in many senses, and maybe as you look in church history, this man uh, stands out amongst many others, if not all others, as really, truly a messenger of the love of Christ to the world. And so this title of apostle really is figurative in a sense. It's, it's meant to be the fact that he was really, truly a messenger of the love of Christ. And so I want you to understand that from the beginning. When you hear me say this, um, it wasn't any kind of weird theology. It wasn't any kind of weird title they were trying to give him. It was simply being used in a figurative sense. In fact, this concept of the love of Christ was the aim of Robert Chapman's entire life. This was his mission, and this is what he even stated. Chapman's life aim was to live Christ and model his love. In fact, quoting Robert Chapman, he said, My business is to love others and not to seek that they others shall love me. That was his aim. That was his goal. My business is to love others and not to seek that others shall love me. That's challenging. That's a reminder to all of us as believers. That is the goal. That's the model of Christ. And that was the aim of his life. And he thought by doing that, by seeing Christ's love displayed in him, in a person who loved them, so by seeing Christ's love displayed in, through him uh, to those around him, Chapman believed that they could more readily believe in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so his aim was to love, not to be loved in return, in hopes that... That love would spur them to believe in Jesus. That was the goal. So it was evangelistic, ultimately, in nature. I'll give you one example, and we'll talk about some others later, of what Chapman is talking about. There was an instance in his church in Bear Street Chapel in Barnstaple, England, where they had to exercise church discipline. And so they had a particularly difficult situation, church discipline issue with this particular man. The man was ultimately uh, put out of the assembly following the pattern of church discipline. And the man was so angry, he was so done with the church, he was so done with Robert Chapman, who was shepherding the whole process, that he vowed never to speak to Chapman again. And not only that, he continued to destroy Chapman around town. Okay, so this, this man was toxic, volatile, never speaking to you again. In fact, I'm just going to continue to destroy you in the very community that you live in 
and minister. And then one day, then one day, in God's providence, the two were approaching each other on the city street. Now, this is a small town. This is a town of 6,000 people, right? So it's not like Louisville, okay? 6,000 people, small town. They're approaching each other on the street. And what would they do? As they approach each other on the sidewalk, knowing all the man had been saying about him, Chapman stopped, and he embraced him. And he said, dear brother, God loves you, Christ loves you, and I love you. And the action broke the man's animosity, and right in the moment, he repented, and he was restored to the church that very day. This is the man, Robert Cleaver Chapman, the apostle of love. Robert was born in January 4th, 1803. I'll go ahead and give you the the end. He died in 1902, so he lived 99 years. He was single, he was never married. Going back to his childhood, he was born in 1803. He was the sixth of 10 children, and he was born into a wealthy family. The Chapmans were a wealthy family. They lived in Yorkshire. Uh, His father owned and operated a a merchandising business. It was probably most like an import-export business there in England at the time. Uh, The family was very wealthy. Robert lived in a very nice home. Uh, They had a staff of servants. They had stables of horses. They had their own stagecoaches. They had their own uh, coat of arms, the family coat of arms emblazoned right on the front of their stage coaches. So you can, you can imagine just the, the opulence and the wealth of an early 1800s family living in and amongst England, and this was the family that Robert was born into. His mother, whose name was Anne, was a very strong woman. She was a strong woman, but she was also a strong intellectual. And so she taught all 10 of her children until the age of 10. And, and it's interesting in this um, and the family that was very well off, they could have hired tutors, they could have hired people to come in and teach their children, but Anne wanted to teach their children as long as she could. And what she, one of her goals in teaching their children was that she wanted to instill in them a love of language and literature. And part of the reason that she wanted to do that was because she felt like the family was so consumed with wealth, they were so consumed with material possessions She wanted her children to to try and buffer some of that um, prosperity uh, with this love of language and literature and learning and being successful in that way apart from material possessions. There's there's no um, real sense that the Chapmans were religious in any real way. It was just an attempt on her part to sort of, uh, in her own heart, buffer her children uh, from the opulence of wealth and probably ultimately what the emptiness that could potentially bring. The family business was really, as you look at um, Robert's childhood, if you look out towards the future, the, the path for Robert would have been to take over the family business. It was his for the taking, uh, along with other members of the family. But as we'll see, God had other plans for Robert Chapman. Now, one quick note, and I, I should have put this in the notes earlier, but I thought about it later. Um, a side note to you moms, it's kind of encouraging, and you may relate to this a little bit. <clears throat> Robert was very, very devoted to his mom, very devoted to his mother. Uh, he was never far from her. So you moms who will remember or may be experiencing it right now, where you can't even go to the bathroom without the child following you in there and sitting on your lap, 
Well, that's kind of Robert Chapman, right? He loved his mom, and he was never far from her, okay? So that's just the way it is. Uh, but listen to what he says, and this will encourage you for all those times that your kids sat on your lap while you went to the bathroom. Um, later in life, Robert Chapman said that when he was young, he cared for little else as long as his mom was near him. So he said that later in his life, and I thought that was very, not just touching, but encouraging uh, to all you moms who endure not even a private moment from sunup to sundown. Uh, his mother loved his intellectual pursuits, talking about Robert. Um, Robert, as, as I really wish I had time to get into it deeper, but he loved literature, he loved the languages, he was gifted at it, and so his mom's pushing him that way was just a joy for him, and it really just launched him off into the paths that he would take. Um, and so he loved the intellectual pursuits, um, but Chapman's other family members, because of his love of those pursuits, thought he would turn out to be no good, basically. Um, he would turn out to be nothing. Um, but that would be far from the truth. Robert, as he grew up, uh, pursued, as I said, language and literature. He was very gifted here. He loved it. He actually mastered English, Danish, French, Spanish, and Portuguese. I think Spanish and Portuguese was more of a speaking, but the other ones he, he could read, write, and speak. And uh, Later he would master Hebrew and Greek. So what is that? Seven to eight different languages that the man mastered in his lifetime. Early in his teens, though he would start to go a different direction, not from the languages, but his life would turn. Uh, his father's business died, ultimately. War in, in and around Europe closed the ports of England, and so Robert's father's business suffered greatly. It was reduced almost down to nothing. The family lost much of their wealth, and this would change the, the course of, of Robert's life. At that point, he was probably around 15 years old. He was a teenager, and he decided to leave Yorkshire to leave the family in the home there, and he moved to London, and he took a, a, an apprenticeship with an attorney. And so then, in that day, he would take an apprenticeship to learn how to be an attorney. He took a five-year apprenticeship with a lawyer in London, and so he moved from Yorkshire at the age of 15 to take this apprenticeship with another attorney. But it's during this time, when he was 15, he moves to London, um, he loved the law, he loved literature, he loved languages, that he... God also started to move his heart towards the Bible. And Robert really began to consider spiritual matters. He was reading his Bible, although at this point in his life, he really kind of sit, sat in judgment of it. So he's reading it going like, what is this all about? Um, what are these spiritual matters that everybody is talking about? And ultimately, he was really concerned about where he stood before God, although as he did it, pursued it, um, he was sort of in contempt of it, if that makes sense, especially at this time in his life around the age of 15. Um, fast forwarding a little bit to the age of 20, uh, he finishes the apprenticeship, and um, <clears throat> while he was continuing to search about spiritual matters, even at this time, uh, Robert became a full-fledged attorney on his own. He became an attorney at the court of the king's bench. So he was, um, at the end of the apprenticeship, he was a, the, the, an attorney of attorneys, if that makes sense. At 20 years old, very gifted, very gifted with the law. People in London knew that, and he got a very important seat as an attorney on the king's bench. And then three years after that, another turn of events, Robert inherited a small fortune from a different family member. So Robert is 23, he's in London, now he inherits a small fortune, and he's a lawyer on the king's bench. And so this is where he's at, 23 years old. The guy's on top of the world, right? 
Ultimately, that's what we could say for his life. Um, he was a bright young man. When he inherited this money, he decided to leave the king's bench and open his own uh, practice, his own practice as an attorney. Many other older lawyers in London at that time encouraged him to do so because they knew of his reputation and how actually gifted he was. And it seemed at that time that this is it. This is a direction for Robert Chapman. He's probably going to be an attorney. This is his gifting. This is where he is headed. But again, while this seemed best, best for him, God had other plans. Now, at the age of 20, before he goes out on his own, as he takes this position with the king's bench, he meets a man named James Harrington Evans. Okay, James Harrington Evans. Evans was ordained in the Church of England. He was ordained in the Anglican Church. And sometime, and he was very young, and sometime after his ordination, fiery preacher, he discovers the doctrine of justification by faith. So imagine this. He's a preacher in the Church of England. After he's ordained, he and God's providence discovers the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And his faith is just ignited. And so he goes into his church and he starts preaching justification by faith. The church explodes with people, explodes with converts. There's excitement. The Church of England looks down upon this, frowns upon this. And they came and told James Evans, you have to stop this preaching of justification by faith or you have to leave. So they were forcing him to quit. And what did he do? He quit. And he left the Church of England. But at that time, a wealthy man in London named Henry Drummond. He was a parliamentary member. He was wealthy. And he was a contrarian, kind of like Evans. And so he liked Evans. He liked his preaching. And he wanted to support what he called his nonconformist um, lifestyle or his nonconformist case. And so by not conforming to the Church of England, he liked him because he preached justification by faith. So Drummond decides to build a church for him. And he builds John Street Chapel in London. And Evans becomes the pastor and powerfully preaches the gospel there, powerfully preaches justification by faith. The place fills up. Con they have tons of converts. It was the um, 90s term, the blow and go in church in London at the time. Okay? And so now, as this church grew rapidly, soon Robert Chapman would find his way to this church sitting on the front row on a Sunday night and hearing James Harrington Evans preach the gospel. A lawyer named John Whitmore, he knew Robert. He was an acquaintance of him. He knew Robert was searching. They'd had biblical conversations for biblical answers, even though he sort of was still sitting in judgment of the Bible. And one Sunday evening, Whitmore invited Robert to attend John Street Chapel. Robert sat under Evans' powerful preaching of the gospel and under the conviction of the Spirit that night, he was born again. He received Jesus Christ as his Savior. And he was saved at 20 years old at John Street Chapel under the preaching of James Harrington Evans. Robert's life immediately changed radically and dramatically forever. He was baptized sometime after his conversion. James Evans practiced then at that time that he didn't baptize converts immediately. He wanted to give them time to show some evidence of faith and some fruits of um, their confession. And so sometime later, um, Chapman was baptized. His family heard of his new faith in Christ. And 
You can imagine what their response was. One of his family members says, he did not need converting. Others hoped that he would not be attracted to the ministry and stay a lawyer where he could, you know, make it in the world, per se. Later, um, Robert said of his family when he first became a Christian, he said, I realized I had become an offense to them. So that was his relationship with his family after his salvation. Robert lost many of his friends and acquaintances, social acquaintances that he had made in London. There was a period in his life where he really enjoyed the social scene and dynamic of London and being an attorney. But all of those friends and acquaintances pretty much went away. But he took his faith so seriously, even amidst those difficulties that all of us experienced to one degree or another, that at one point he remembers that he, was, he became fearful to even live now as a Christian, to literally live because he became so fearful he would do something to offend and dishonor his Lord. So that's how um, sincere his conscience was early on in his walk with Christ. But soon he began to understand how one could live a life pleasing and honoring to God, and he was set free of that anxiety. With the help of James Evans, Chapman became really mighty in the Word of God at a very young age. I mean, he's just in his early 20s. He became part of the church. James Evans mentored him. He became very mighty in the Scriptures quickly. He was teaching and preaching very early on in his early 20s as he ministered at John Street with him. Um, his whole view of the law changed. There's a story of when, after he came to faith, he was practicing law. These two men had filed lawsuits against one another. They came to see um, Robert Chapman, and when he learned that they were both Christians, he set him down at the table and opened the Scripture to 1 Corinthians and said, you men are both Christians. You need to read the Bible and drop your lawsuits, and they did. And so his whole view of the law even began to change um, as he learned more about God and his Scriptures. It was becoming more and more clear, and I'm fast-forwarding quite a bit for sake of time, that Robert was going to be called in to the ministry. His, his life's passion would be to live and love Christ, to care for the poor, and to carry God's message of salvation. And this is really what began to launch um, Robert into full-time ministry. He wanted to show the love of Christ. He had a deep and burning passion to care for the poor and to care for the unfortunate and he really wanted to carry God's message of salvation. And through a number of circumstances with his pastor at, at John Street and those who were ministering in and around London, eventually in Barnstaple, he would be called to Barnstaple at a church called Ebenezer Chapel. And so at this point, we're early in his 20s. He's being called into full-time ministry. He's going to leave his law practice. He's going to go to Barnstaple outside of London, and he's going to take on a small church there and pastor it uh, probably when he's 25, 26 years old. Uh, actually, probably more like 28 years old. Now, before we talk a little bit about that and some things that happen to him in ministry that really displays the love of Christ through this man's life, I want you to understand like, where, who he's ministering in and amongst. Like, he's kind of an obscure figure. In fact, uh, the one book that I have, and it's probably the book out there written by Robert Peterson, uh, he really struggled to find information about Robert Chapman. But that doesn't mean he wasn't a very influential man. Um, so we need to understand 
uh, who he was acquainted with and ministered alongside. Chapman, while ministering in a small town in England, he was known by W. Gladstone, who was three times the Prime Minister of England. So he had a relationship with the Prime Minister of England. He was a friend to Samuel Wilberforce, who was the son of William Wilberforce, who we know fought the slave trade in 1833 when Chapman was 30 years old. That finally passed through London and they abolished slavery. So he was friends with William Wilberforce's son. Chapman was a friend and contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. So he's ministering at the same time of Charles Spurgeon in London. They were friends. They were contemporaries. They were friends. They valued one another's work. They visited each other. Spurgeon referred to Chapman as the saintliest man he ever knew. If you get the book and read some of his personal disciplines, you'll understand what he's talking about. Um, this was his relationship with Spurgeon. And you'll know from Spurgeon's life when he faced the, the downgrade controversy and was really a low point for Spurgeon's life, and it was really getting closer to whenever he uh, was going to die. Um, Chapman learned of this, and he visited him to encourage him during that whole process. And then later in Spurgeon's life, before he was about to die, um, Chapman went and visited him again right before Spurgeon passed away. Chapman was a friend and mentor to Hudson Taylor, China Inland Mission. Hudson Taylor, the founder of China Inland Mission, states that he stayed with Chapman in Barnstaple often. And in fact, he considered Robert Chapman a mentor. He followed his advice, and Chapman was a key advisor as he began the China Inland Mission. Another notable man um, that many, <clears throat> among many, not mentioned was George Mueller. George Mueller considered Robert Chapman his mentor. This is George Mueller, who we're all very familiar with. He was one of his own personal mentors. So how does a man like Robert Chapman, not as well known, have such influence among such heroes of his time? How does he have this influence? How does he have these relationships? What was so special about him? Well, I come back to, keep coming back to the same thing. He, his own life, he lived it for Christ, and this life really was dripping with the love of Jesus. How did he earn such a title? Let me just give you a few thoughts tonight and a few examples from, the, from his life in um, Robert Peterson's book. Number one, 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says this, Love does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. As we've already said briefly, Chapman, as you're going to learn, Chapman was called to a ministry that would prove to be very, very difficult. He took on an openly divided church. That's the church he's called to. Chapman left London. He left his law practice. He left John Street Chapel. He left the comfort of ministering amongst, amongst a, a well-oiled machine church, a well-developed church, a well-established church. He left all that to go to a small, poor town of Barnstaple where there was much um, just uh, there was much vice there, there was much difficulty there, a hard ministry and not only that, then he got called to a church and took on a church that was openly divided the minute he walked into the building. This church was what is known at that time denominationally as a particular Baptist church versus General Baptist. And the particular, particular Baptist 
uh, believes then that you must be baptized to take communion or to be a member in the church. Now, that, that issue really hasn't completely ever died out, right? Because that's around still today. Um, and the church was divided over that issue. Now, Chapman, that wasn't his conviction. Okay, he believed if you were a Christian that you should be able to come take communion, that you should, be, you should be able to be a part of a church. Certainly he believed in baptism, certainly encouraged people to be baptized, but he didn't make it such a sticking point. But we know that still even exists somewhat today. But he told them he would come, he would preach the Bible, he would withhold his convictions, and they called him to come to the church and be his pastor. But it would prove to be a very, very difficult ministry for him. And so we see here from the very beginning... He would take a pastorate that would have such difficulties right at the very outset, and he left a very uh, comfortable, we could say in a certain sense, right, situation in London at John Street Chapel where he ministered as a layperson because love does not consider its own. Love does not seek its own. It gives of itself. It gives of itself. Number two, in 1 Corinthians 13, 6, we see love rejoices with the truth. Chapman modeled love by his gracious, loving, but firm teaching of the Bible. He taught the Bible unashamedly. He taught it the full counsel of the Lord, the full truth of Scripture. But he did it in such a loving manner. His flock wanted to hear more. People around him wanted to hear more. In fact, there was one young lady named Eliza Gilbert. And one Sunday night, she came to hear him preach on sin and its consequences. So you can imagine a heavy sermon, maybe not fire and brimstone, but heavy topic, heavy sermon, sin and its consequences. And Eliza's response that night was this, he hurt me. He hurt me. Oh, I must hear him again. That was Robert Chapman. That's how he preached the truth. And he was faithful to do it. Number three, 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or things in this world. This is one way that we abide in Christ and that we live the love of Christ is that we refrain from loving the world and things in the world. Chapman demonstrated an abiding love in Christ as he shepherded his flock and that he did not love the world or things in the world. In fact, you'll remember Chapman at the age of 20 inherited a small fortune from his family. He took a little bit of that and he bought a little place in Barnstaple that he would turn into a hospitality house for missionaries and people in ministry that could sort of come there and retreat. And he gave the rest of it away. He gave everything he had away to the poor. He did not love the world or the things in this world. He only kept the very few things he needed to live. He literally gave away the entire fortune he had inherited and depended solely on God to provide his needs. That's absolutely what the quote from him. Chapman poured out every resource he had to those around him who were poor and in need. One example of how utterly others-minded in this area he was friend, Mr. Hake, tells a story. They had gone to a conference, a Bible conference somewhere uh, that was a train ride away. And he had given Robert, he knew Robert didn't have any money because he'd give it all away. He gave money, uh, Robert money for the train to get home. And so it was time to go home. I don't remember where they were at. Robert comes to the train station. He has money for the fare. That's it. 
He sees an old elderly woman who's poor and in need. He gives all the last money he has to her that his friend gave him for the train ride home. A couple hours later, who came to the train station? His friend. And he said, I saw poor old Robert, and I said, I knew the look in his eye, and I said, I knew he did not have the money I gave him for the train ride. And he said, Robert, do you have the money I gave you for the train ride? And he said, no, there was a poor elderly woman over here, and da da da, and told him the story. And he said, Robert, how are you going to get home uh, from the conference? And he said, the Lord will provide. And so about an hour later, the train pulls in. It was time to get on the train. They still had no money. Another guy that they'd been in the conference with walked up and gave them both uh, money to, for the fare for the train. They got on the train and went home. That was Robert Chapman. He all, all utterly depended literally upon the Lord to provide everything he needed at the moment he needed it. Number four, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5, love is patient. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Robert Chapman displayed deep patience and love in his church and and, um, in his town, really, regarding a very difficult issue in his divided church. So when Robert comes to a church, as I've said, it was divided. It was divided over this issue of baptism. And Robert was very very patient in this situation. I mean, think about this. He's in his late 20s, early 30s. And I'm thinking, me? In my late 20s, early 30s? I'm not waiting around too long for this church thing to get figured out. Amen? I mean, we were all, we were all young. Those of us who have passed those ages already, <laughs> I don't think any of us, would, if we were honest with ourselves, would say we would be very patient at that um, young age of 30 years old. But from day one, and from day one, uh, Robert was under a lot of pressure by the majority of the members in the church. They were ready to move forward. They were ready to make the changes in the church to remove the stipulation of baptism for membership and to take communion. So from day one, he's getting pressure from them. Robert was also getting pressure from other Christian leaders in and around Barnstaple um, that the church was ready and that he needed to move forward and make the changes that the church wanted to make happen. But Robert remained steadfast. He wanted, quote from Robert, love and the Bible to do its work, swaying hearts on the issue. It was a clear test of his leadership early on in his ministry. Chapman later said, we waited in patience for fullness of unity and judgment. What we now enjoy here, a a mutual love and unity of the Spirit would never have been our portion had any other course been taken. And so had he rushed the issue, it would have destroyed the church, it would have uh, completely disunified the church, and the love that they enjoyed, the unity of spirit that they enjoyed uh, under Robert's ministry and teaching would have just gone away had he not been lovingly patient with that flock. Robert Peterson in his book says, Chapman's way of handling the situation reveals his patience, gentle instruction, and waiting on on the Lord. And that is a part of love. That is a part of the love of Christ. Love is patient. He was patient. In such a young, dear age, um, he displayed love in a very patient way amongst that congregation. Uh, A love and a patience that I know I would have not displayed at 30 years old. Um, But Chapman did, and he was a model of it. But Chapman's model of love went even deeper in this issue. It went even deeper. After a year, 
It seems like it was around a year based on Robert Peterson's research. The majority of the church forced a vote. And they forced a vote to make the changes that they wanted to happen. And the new policy in the church was adopted. And seeing that this was the final <clears throat> uh, decision, the minority left the church in 1834. Chapman is 31 years old. 31 years old, the minority of the church left. Now about three years later, the minority of that church, the particular Baptist, went to a different church in town who had basically folded, but there was a building, they allowed them to use it. Well, that church, the leadership of that church who owned the building finally said, well, we don't believe what you believe, so we're kicking you out, even though we don't really have a church to put in there. So the, the minority that left is just sort of roaming around Barnstaple. Well, they decide they're coming back. They're coming back to Ebenezer Chapel where Robert Chapman served and shepherded. And they came back, and this time they demanded that Robert and the majority vacate the building. And their reason for demanding that they vacate the building was that they weren't practicing the beliefs of the particular Baptist, which was the intent of the use of that building from the beginning. Okay? That was their argument. It was built for the particular Baptist. You're not, you don't believe or follow what the particular Baptists believe, so that's our building. You all need to leave. Okay? That was the challenge. And so Robert, being a lawyer that he was, he pulled out the church documents, he pulled out the deed and the other documents, and lo and behold, there was uh, no such provisions existed in the original documents of the church. There was nothing on paper. There was nothing that said legally or on paper that this was the case. And so here's Robert Chapman at 31 years old uh, with the majority members of the church being demanded to leave. And what do you think he did? He left. He left. He took the majority and he gave them back the building. He said, as I saw it, giving away, it was similar to giving away one's coat to someone who demanded it. So if someone demands you walk one mile, what did Jesus say? Walk two. And so Chapman and the majority that was there, they left and gave the building back to the minority crowd who left. Peterson here says, this is Robert Peterson who wrote the book on Chapman, and, and I would agree with him, obviously, to a certain extent. These unusual actions displayed Christ-like love in a very unique way in any time in church history. And so here you have Robert Chapman, at 31 years old, as a shepherd of God's people, displaying love is patient, but love does not take into account a wrong suffered. In some ways, they were wronged, right? Um, but he did not take it into account. Someone wanted his coat, and he gave it to them. Interestingly enough, um, after Chapman did that, they went and found another place, and um, it, was, it was on Bear Street in Barnstaple, so it was called Bear Street Chapel. And um, it struggled in, in, in um, his day, Robert Chapman's day, but when you look beyond history, beyond him, that Bear Street Chapel became the church in Barnstaple. It became the sort of center of what we would call a strong spiritual center uh, in the town um, in the next generation. Uh, it, it was even stronger than it would have been before. So here was a situation where something looked like it went bad, um, they struggled for a while, but then God later 
took it and blessed it and used it and grew it uh, to be a, a really great work in that area. So love is patient. Love does not take a wrong suffer- into account a wrong suffered. And number five, love is kind. Love is kind. And we'll wrap up a few thoughts here. Um, <clears throat> Robert Chapman, there's so many stories in the book. And, and if you're interested in getting the book, uh, come up and see me afterwards. I'll show you and give you the information. But Robert Chapman was a kind servant. Uh, there's so many stories. Visitors, so I had mentioned earlier he had a hospitality house. He had a small house that he built and refurbished with some of the money that he had. And then he, it was just really for missionaries to come and ministers to come and, and rest and recuperate. And he, and he was the one who served them there. So not only did he shepherd the church, but he was serving others who would come through there and rest. And there's so many unique stories. Hudson Taylor, like I said, spent much time there uh, resting and, and mentoring with Chapman. But one thing that uh, Chapman did when people came, everyone that came and stayed with him in that house, he cleaned their shoes. So you imagine those days, muddy streets and yucky in this house, everybody that came in, their shoes are all muddy. He would always clean their shoes. And then some people took issue with that, sort of like Peter took issue with Jesus washing his feet, right? They took issue, why are you doing this? We don't want you to do this. And, and Chapman basically said, well, it's in our day, the tradition isn't so much that we wash each other's feet, and this is one way that I can sort of fulfill that loving command of our Lord. And so he cleaned their shoes. Very interesting aspect of this unique man's life. Um, Chapman was kind in a sense, and you may not think this is kind, but it really is in the long run. Uh, when, when there were marital problems, if a spouse came to him complaining about the other spouse, well, he would challenge that spouse to what their issues were and encourage them to go back and work on their marriage uh, even harder. And that is loving and that is kind in that situation. Uh, Chapman visited uh, churches to help heal divisions So Chapman, having experienced that himself, he was often called upon to go to other churches, and he would go there to help them try and settle disputes. And and with his legal mind, and now with his scriptural heart uh, full of scripture, he was able to go there, and um, he was very kind in that process. But he would always start by gathering the church together and preaching to them about loving unity before he would then sit down with the people and try and talk to whatever divisive issues there were. Robert regularly prayed for his flock. There's a um, funny story that he ran into a woman in, in Barnstaple at one point, and um, she said, Pastor, I, I need you to, to pray for my children. And he said, I cannot begin to pray for your children. And she, she's kind of startled, like, why can't you pray for my children? He said, because I've already begun praying for your children. So that, that was Robert Chapman. He had already been praying for her children. He prayed for his flock. He prayed for them by name. He prayed for them diligently. Robert was kind in the sense that he did not give up on people. So there's an interesting story about Robert. Every morning he would go out early in the morning. He would read scripture. He would read it aloud while he walked on the streets of Barnstaple. And there was always this soldier he passed by on often occasions. And that soldier had been out uh, partying and doing whatever he wanted to do all night long. And he would pass the soldier as the soldier was going home in the morning to go to bed. And uh, sometimes drunken, obviously had been out partying and carousing. And Robert Chapman would always witness to him. He would witness to the soldier, and the soldier sometimes would shout, you know, um, I don't know if it's profanities, but be offended by what he was saying and shout things back at Robert. Robert never gave up on him, and he continued to confront <clears throat> the soldier with the gospel in spite of the soldier's really contempt for Chapman, maybe is a better way to say it. But he persisted, and the late, later in the soldier's life, or later in Chapman's life, in the soldier's life, the soldier was converted under <laughs> Chapman's continued gospel preaching. Uh, to 
this soldier. And there's so many stories like that. I mentioned Eliza Gilbert earlier. She was saved under his uh, ministry as well. And finally, speaking of Robert Chapman and the Apostle of Love and the kindness and the love that he demonstrated um, in such a way that uh, is so touching to the heart is one way to say it. But um, I want to end where we began tonight. And uh, you'll remember we started by saying that there was an old preacher, and it was Robert Chapman, obviously. And there was a grocer in town who was angry with him. He didn't like the fact that he went and out on the street corner and preached the gospel. And so the day it boiled over, and he went, went and spat on Robert Chapman right out in the city street. And after that, this, whole, this grocer was just so angry with him and uh, continued to sort of destroy him around town for, for, for a long, long time. And so sometime later in Robert's ministry, as he ministered there in Barnstaple, one of his relatives came to see him. And so this was sort of like a cousin maybe who had some wealth. And so he came to see Robert. He knew where he was at ministering. And he came in to see Robert, came into his home, and just was astonished by how um, sort of miserly Robert lived, just real simple, real small, um, didn't have a lot of things. And uh, he was just really astonished by all of that. And so they spent some time together talking, and then he had to leave. And he noticed that Robert really didn't have any food at that point. The covers were pretty bare. And he asked Robert, he said, Robert, um, can I go shop for you? I want to go and fill up your covers. And Robert said, sure, but you have to go to one particular grocer in town. And the cousin said, okay, that's fine, no problem. So the cousin goes, uh, goes to the grocer, goes and picks up a large sum of groceries, more than would have been a norm for that day, pays for all of it in cash, and the grocer inquires, who, who, are, who are you, why are you here, who are these for? And he said, well, I'm a um, family relative of Robert Chapman. And he said, Robert Chapman? He said, yeah. He's like, well, you must have went to the wrong place. I said, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, Robert Chapman wouldn't send you here. And he said, no, sir, Robert Chapman actually told me this was the place that I must go to get my groceries in this town. And the man broke down in tears. And the man left the grocery store. I don't know if it's the same day or not. He went to Robert Chapman's home. He asked for Robert Chapman's forgiveness. He repented of his sin and he trusted in Christ that very day. That's the apostle of love. That's Robert Chapman, born 1803, died in 1902, ministered for almost 70 years in Barnstaple, England, influenced many men who had much influence all around the world. There was so much for us to learn through his model of love. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, we thank you for this time to study tonight, and I do thank you for Robert Cleaver Chapman, the saintliest man that Charles Spurgeon knew, a man that was mature, godly, disciplined, and made it his mission and ambition in life was to model and demonstrate the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, he was patient, and he did not take a wrong into account. And he drew men and women to Christ. And so, Father, I pray tonight that you would help us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us to love others in a way that was modeled by Robert Chapman, but that was ultimately modeled by our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us in our tongues, help us with our speech. 
Help us with letting things go. Help us with putting others' needs before our own. Help us, Father, with being generous and giving. And Father, help us to do that in a way that's so unique and so um, unworldly that the lost would be drawn to consider the gospel and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for this time. I thank you for those who come here tonight. I pray that they're encouraged, that we all do this place encouraged. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we're justified by faith and faith alone. We thank you that it's all by your grace. And Father, just help us to live in such a way that honors and pleases you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.